Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Alright everyone, go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, and uh, does anyone need a Bible? We'll make sure we get you one, just put your hand up, just want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word in front of you, that we all have our eyes on the pages of Scripture, and um, what we're going to do tonight is uh, we're going to continue in our study through the book of Galatians. And as we've been doing this, we've been doing it a little bit differently. We've been uh, kind of walking through how to navigate the text rather than me just standing up here and telling you that this is how you should, uh, this, is, this is the answers within the text. And this is all motivated with the desire that you would be equipped to do this on your own even. And not that there's a, it's a bad thing to come together and hear someone teach on uh, the Word of God and Scripture and uh, to refocus us together in that. But it's even more valuable if we can do that and go from here and read Scripture and begin studying and applying it ourselves. Okay? And uh, so we've been using uh, this method, three steps coined by a man named Howard Hendricks in his book, Living by the Book. And uh, we're going to count to three and we're going to say these out loud as we are going to do every single week to uh, ingrain them into your being. Okay? So I'm going to count to three. I just want you to speak these out wherever you're at. We're going to start with the O. We're going to all work all the way through the A. One, two, three. Observation, interpretation, application. Observation, interpretation, application. Those are the steps we walk through in order to understand and grasp the depth within the pages of Scripture. And so what we're going to do tonight uh, is I'm actually going to have us read through the whole of what we're going to study and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually physically do some of the minor observations in the text after we read it all the way through. And then we're going to go into some interpretation and application elements. So you see this even a little more in action than maybe you've been used to previously. So we're going to read in Galatians chapter 3, we're going to read through uh, verse 14, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to... Go from there and see what uh, the Lord reveals to us in His Word. And uh, just to preface and summarize as we gear up for Galatians chapter 3, if you're just joining us for the first time in the, uh, as we walk through the book of Galatians, I encourage you, uh, if you're watching on video, pause it, go back, read Galatians 1 and 2. Um, if you're here with us in person, um, mark down, kind of take a note and say, I need to read Galatians 1 and 2 because we want to grasp the context, everyone say context, the context of which uh, we are reading today. And uh, this is a, a letter, everyone say letter, and because it's a letter, it needs to be read as a whole entity, not just broken apart, and that's the only way that I see this. 
So I continue to challenge you, if you haven't been doing this, um, this next week, even if it's the first time, read through the whole book of Galatians this next week. Hey, there's six chapters. You could take one a day and then we're in the book of Galatians on Sunday. Read through the whole thing cover to cover and you're going to get a better grasp on the whole. Okay? Even if this, one of the things we've been doing as a family is uh, if we aren't studying something specific at our breakfast table, we just take one of the chapters in Galatians and we read it together as a family. So even if it's as simple as that, okay, uh, even if you have young kids, they will pick up on things and uh, you can draw things out together and it just makes that time really rich as a family, as a couple, as an individual. We can do this, all right? But I want to read, starting in Galatians 3, verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Father, as we take this text tonight, may you open our eyes to see the richness of it. May you draw us to the attention uh, in application towards the church in Galatia. And may you use it to challenge our faith, to increase our understanding, and to motivate us to proclaim the truth of the gospel in our community right here today. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to walk through what I usually do in observation process. Because I kind of said, I usually take a piece of paper and I jot down some observations, but I haven't really demonstrated that for you yet. And so I, I just want to kind of go through that. We just read through the whole of the text. And so right off of the bat, I'm going to start looking for these things that stand out to me as I read through the structure that's here in these 14 verses of Galatians 3. 
And so I'm going to go through kind of quickly some of the immediate observations that we see. And you may see some additional ones, and I encourage you, take note of those and use them for your personal study this week. Because there's lots here. You could spend a lot of time in just these 14 verses of Galatians 3. But here's a couple of observations that stick out right away. The important part of observation is we're not going to extreme depth. We are simply identifying observations within the text. It's step one. If we start going too deep, too fast, we lose track of segmenting our studies, and then we end up with messy or halfway done interpretation and really sloppy application because we haven't taken the time to really sit and mull on and chew on the text. The best illustration that I can give you is a rural farm illustration, and it is the illustration of you need to be a cow when it comes to Scripture. You need to chew the cud, okay? You need to chew on it, you need to digest it, you need to regurgitate it, you need to chew it some more, you need to digest it, you need to... You get the idea, okay? It's a process. Everyone say process. And yet, if you ever see a cow chewing their cud, they are the most content. If you didn't know that, that's a little fun fact. If you see a cow out in the pasture and it's chewing its cud, it is happy and content. And probably the calmest it's going to be. The only time it might be calmer if it's beached on its side sunbathing, okay? Anyway, chew on this stuff over and over and over again, and you're going to get more each time you do that. So, first observation that we look at in this text is there's a series of rhetorical questions he asks. So I'm just going to put series of questions. And we see those right at the beginning. Okay? So I'm just noting that. I'm not going any further than that. I'm just noting down. This is interesting and deserves some more time and attention. Now, another thing that we notice in this text is there's repeated use of the Spirit. It's highlighted a couple of different times. And so I'm just going to make a mental note here that I need to come back and do a little more digging on the Spirit and the emphasis here on the Spirit. Especially if I have no idea what that's talking about. That's just a note that I need to take. The next observation I have is there's a character that's mentioned here multiple times. Who is it? Abraham. Abraham is mentioned multiple times. And I need to come back and do some interpretive work to understand who is this guy Abraham and why is he in the middle of Galatians? Why should I care? So I'm going to make a note. Abraham, I need to touch base and do some more study on the man Abraham. The next observation that I can make is that there seems to be this tension or this ongoing contrast between faith and works of the law. There's this ongoing kind of battle taking place here as I read through the text. And so I might just write something like, faith versus law works, or works of the law. Okay? Real short, it can be abbreviated however you want. All I'm doing here is I'm setting mile markers as I read the text in order to come back and do some more detailed looking at the scenery around those mile markers. The last thing that I'm just going to take note of, and we're going to try to cover some of each of these in interpretation and application 
so you get a broad overview of the whole process today, is that there are multiple quotations that Paul uses near the end of those 14 verses, where he'll say something like, as it is written, or it's written here. That should be something that causes us to go, wait, wait a minute, where is it written? What is it that's written, and where can I verify that this is a valid thing Paul is using to bring about his argument? Okay? We would want the same thing if someone makes an argument today, right? I would hope so. And though that's kind of questionable at times, we would want, well, where's the source? What, where are you getting this quotation from? What's happening here? And so I might put uh, quotes... From other places. My observations are gone. Anyway. Quotes from other writings or other places. Okay? Now, ultimately, when we come back to the, uh, the rest of this, uh, we're going to piece this apart bit by bit and seek to grasp some of these observations that are taking place throughout the text. So the next step, we're not just going into observation. What's the next step? Interpretation. Everyone say interpretation. Interpretation. And when we dive into interpretation, we're really looking at context. We're looking at culture. We're consulting other sources. And we're seeking to develop a better understanding of what the writer is communicating here. Now, what I'm actually going to do Tonight is I'm going to use a resource many of you have within your Bibles already. And so while it is an additional resource, most of you have access to this. And it is the resource of cross-references. And cross-references within your Bible, as you read, you if you have them in your Bible, some Bibles don't have cross-references. If you don't have a Bible with cross-references in it, I encourage you to get one. Super helpful. And all it does is as you read through, you will see little italicized letters next to verses within the text. And then usually in a bar in the middle or to the side of that page, you can pair up those little italicized letters with further verses in Scripture that reinforce what is being said in those verses. So tonight, what I'm going to show you is using just cross-references what we can discover about the depth of Scripture in the text. It's a simple tool that's right there in your Bibles that you can use any time. And so to start off, we're going to take the first couple verses here. It says, Oh, you, oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Now, this is the first of several questions he asks. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, he obviously has an answer in mind, and this brings about question number one. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, if I am first stepping into this and seeking to understand what these elements are, I need to stop here and I need to do some digging. 
Now, in past messages, we have unearthed what the works of the law were and what faith is. So I don't want to sit here for a super long time. I encourage you, go back to last week's message, listen to it again, read through that text, seek out definitions of things like faith and works of the law, make notations on those, and you're going to uncover why there seems to be such a tension here. But to start with this question, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now he goes on and he asks uh, an additional question, uh, even from there, where he, uh, where he says, <clears throat> Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? This is in verse 3 of your text. And these two verses bring about this kind of broad question of who began the work in you to begin with? Who started this to begin with? And is it the same thing that started the work in you that you are having perfect you? It's meant to be rhetorical to the church of Galatia because they know full well that it is in fact... Not by their works that this work begun in them. Now, if we're observing this and we're looking specifically at our cross-references, one of the verses that comes out on the page is Philippians 1.6, where it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul, you're writing to the church at Philippi, and he says, I am sure that the one who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. He's going to be the one to do that work. Now, notice here, he does not say in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this church at Philippi. Those of you who began this good work will bring it to completion. This is a very different statement. But it's one we often unintentionally pursue. No, but scripture here communicates, no, 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 it's the one who's began the work in you that's going to be faithful to bring it to be. It's his working, him who calls us, him who leads us, and it's him who ultimately be, will be the one who perfects us. Not of our own works or doing. Now, that's a short interpretive process to look at what does the rest of Scripture say. And my observation is there's two questions here. And in light of the rest of Scripture, what is the application that should be drawn to the church at Galatia? And that application is simply this. The work that has begun in God's people is of His doing, not their own. You see that? The work that has begun... In God's people, from the point of calling them to be saved. Continuing on, it's His doing, not their own. That's the reminder Paul is seeking to give to the church of Galatia through asking just two of these questions. 
Was it your works that did this? Or was it the work of faith in you? You had faith, God did the work. That's a practical question we could ask even ourselves today in the current church. The reminder, the work that has be, was begun in God's people, the work that He has begun in your life, He's the one who's going to bring that to completion. Do we trust Him with that? Or do we trust ourselves? Now, let's move on to the next section of this. It says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? By the flesh? Here's another question. Okay? And then, did you suffer? This is another question. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it indeed was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as... Oh man, here's Abraham. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him... As righteousness. So, for a second here, we're going to pause and look at just these next two questions. Having begun by the Spirit, he's already kind of determined that in the first two questions. Alright, it's the work of God. It's the work of the Spirit of God in you that started the work. Now, having begun that by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Has that shifted? Has that role changed? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do that by the law? Or does he do that by faith? The faith of his people in him. And ultimately, we could even ask the question, who gets the glory either way in this? In, if, if I'm reliant on myself and my own works and what I'm able to do, ultimately, who gets the glory in that? Who gets it if it's about me and what I can do? We do, right? We get the glory for that. But if it's by faith and it's in recognition, I'm unable to, I can't bring this about, I'm incapable, then when that comes and the next step in the process happens, the glory goes directly to God. And if you look throughout the pages of Scripture... God is in the business of bringing glory to himself and he uses people to accomplish that purpose. We get the opportunity to bring glory to God. But I'm telling you, it is not by the works of our flesh that that is accomplished. It's by faith in a God who can do so much more than we're capable of. Now, in Romans chapter 8, this is another cross-reference over. And some of you may have this, others may not. We referenced this text last week, and so I wanted to pull us back to that. In Romans 8, verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. The application of this, what is accomplished through faith, cannot be fabricated by works. What is accomplished by faith cannot be fabricated or recreated by anything we do. Now, if we go on from here, we get into some of these quotations. Now, in the time we have left, what I'm going to do is we're going to kind of bounce between this section and some of these 
quotations so you get an idea for where they are at. I will tell you right now, these quotations Paul uses are in your Bibles in the cross-references. You can find these, okay? So he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, Abraham here is mentioned a lot. And so I'm going to direct you to two passages, Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Take note of this. Abraham is introduced to us in the book of Genesis. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, we see God give these specific promises. The first one in Genesis 12, 1 through 3 It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, get this, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is one of the first instances in God's promises that we see the gospel. It's not the very first. We see that in Genesis chapter, uh, in Genesis 3.15 when he promises through the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. But ultimately here, in you, Abraham, all family, everyone say all, all families of the earth shall be blessed. In Genesis 15, 5 through 6, Abraham's kind of doubting God's promise from Genesis 12 because he hasn't had any kids yet. And in Genesis 15, God says, And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6 is really crucial here. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Church, this is the first place in Scripture where God directly correlates in words the faith being what counts a person as righteous, not what they do. All the way back here, this isn't just a New Testament concept. God says to Abraham, essentially, it was because what? He believed the Lord, and because he believed, because he had faith, it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is using this distinction in Galatians because the people would have had every knowledge of who Abraham was because they were clinging to that Old Testament structure and law. Blessings come, blessing comes to those. This is the application from that Galatians passage. Blessing comes to those who trust God as Abraham did, not to those who rely on works. Okay? And those blessings look different. It's not that somehow it is uh, everything of this world that you could imagine. And you'll notice here that this application point, I intentionally pulled from a commentary that I often refer to. When I go to consultation in the interpretation process, there's times that I find some really, really valuable insights that are really helpful. It's not wrong for us to use 
the work of someone else as long as they're getting credit for that work that they do, okay? And I use this in application to show you an example of how we can even use an additional resource alongside of our text to draw out even further understandings of what the text is saying. The danger is if we jump straight to the application in a commentary like this, we missed the process to even understand where we can see that in the pages. I don't want you to miss out on that. Okay? This final section, we see all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, there's that phrase, okay? Look for that in your Bibles. For it is written, and you should ask the question, where is it written? Okay? Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law and do them. Answer, Deuteronomy 27.6 says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Next quote. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. We ask the question, where is it written? Answer, Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Next quote. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. We ask the question, where is it written? Answer, Leviticus 18.5. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Okay? Now we could see this over and over throughout this text. Alright? Multiple times where we unpack and see the depth that, alright, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is really interesting. Because it's specifically referring to Jesus here. And when you go to Deuteronomy 21, it's speaking specifically of the law within the nation of Israel. Which brings even further significance over to the sacrifice of Christ. Because when we see clearly that this goes all the way back, and we see this, that Jesus' death on a cross, it was not only significant because of the fact that it brought about salvation. It was significant because in Jewish eyes, in the eyes of the people according to the law, this was the worst of the worst. And in fact, they weren't even allowed to keep the body of someone who had hung on a cross, hung on a tree, all night. But bury him the same day because a hanged man is cursed by God. And it brings a whole new depth to what Christ took on Himself because of what we deserved. Now, here's the application question I want to leave you with, church. There's there's so much here, and I know we've been running through a lot of this, okay? And it's one of the benefits of being able to record these on video is we could go back and you could, we could watch them again. <laughs> Am I prone to trust in my own works to justify myself before God? Or am I a person of faith? 
at the end of the day, if we're to summarize all Paul is trying to communicate here and bring the people back to, there's a really main question in this. It's, am I more dependent on myself to be counted as innocent before God? Or do I have faith that Christ accomplished that and my security is certain? Not because of what I've done, but because of what He has already done. That's the gospel, church. The good news is that in spite of you being able to do nothing, Jesus already did it for you. And all you have to do is believe and have faith that He did it, and it was enough. And then we spend the rest of our lives allowing the Spirit of God to perfect us, to become more like Christ. But it's not something that we can just do, no matter how hard we try. And so as we think about this, and we think about that Abraham, even then, before Jesus had even come, believed in what God had promised, and it was counted to him as righteousness, how much more do we, knowing that Jesus came and died and he didn't stay dead, have every reason to believe and have faith in God's promises right now and today. To cling to those. And to fall back on those when we question what is going on in the midst of our world. Because God has remained faithful to His promises. He's going to continue to do that. And it is by faith we are declared righteous, not because of anything we are able to do. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And we're going to sing one last song together. And as we do so, here's what I want. I want you to reflect on this. I want you to reflect on this question, okay? Am I someone who is prone to trust myself? Are we a church, a local body of people who is more prone to trust ourselves than to fix our eyes on the God who is promised and who is in control of what's now and what's to come? And may we take this opportunity to fully fix our eyes on Him. And maybe you're listening to this and you have not made a decision to put your faith fully in a God who offered His Son on your behalf. And today is that opportunity to say, I believe Jesus did what I am incapable of doing myself. To commit your life to the Lord and then allow His Spirit to indwell and begin the work of sanctifying, of perfecting you, of moving you from where you're at to where God wants you to be. Father, as we close now, may we more fully understand the depth of who you are. May we be humbled by the reminder of your sacrifice. And may we be people of faith, not dependent on our own works to bring about what only you can accomplish. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.